Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. My name is Scott and I am your host. And I am bringing you guys today a review of an album that is very, very special to me, played a very important role in my future as a musician and the direction I would take as a songwriter. And it all started with a Christmas party at a company I was working for. Uh, I was working for Marriott at the time in a cafeteria that was located at the Hewlett Packard building in Colorado Springs. This is many, many years ago. This would be like 88, I want to say, 88 or 89. And we did a uh, gift exchange for the Christmas party. And one of the managers drew my name. Her name was Cheryl. And she gave me this cassette that was a compilation of, of music. It was the first compilation that had come out in this series from this particular record company, which was Private Music. And the uh, it was just labeled The World of Private Music. And at the time, they didn't put, you know, Sampler 1 or anything on it because it was the only one they had. It's kind of like they didn't name World War One World War One. It didn't become World War One until World War Two came along. Before that, it was just The World War. Strange comparison to this kind of music, I know, but that's how it was titled. Um, the, uh, the list of artists, I had never heard of a single one. And I was, you know, a pretty optimistic person, pretty open-minded. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I listened to it and I absolutely fell in love with it. I didn't listen to it right away. I don't think it was a, a couple days before I actually opened it up and listened to it. Because uh, in my car, I didn't have a cassette player. I had an AM radio. Yeah. AM radio. So, uh, you know, at some point I opened the thing and I, I just remember the next day that I saw her at work, I just gave her a big hug and said, thank you so much. I absolutely love this tape. And uh, there, there is a CD version of it available, which is going to sound much better than what I'm playing for you because what I'm playing for you came from the cassette. So it's going to have a little more hiss. Uh, it's not going to be quite as, as clean in EQ uh, just because I flat transferred it many years ago with the intention of, of getting you know the CD and I just hadn't. But uh, the CD is available. I have two links to it in the show notes, both on Amazon. I'm not sure which one's going to be the better one. So uh, keep a close eye out. You can also probably find it on eBay. It would be silly for me to put an eBay link in there, but there, there you go. Um, there are uh, the artists though that are on there. There's a couple that are very well known: Eddie Jobson, Yanni, Patrick O'Hearn. Patrick O'Hearn used to play for a band called Missing Persons, which was put together by Frank Zappa, and a very, very talented musician, great bass player. Um, great writer. I've really dug in more on his career than probably anybody else on the CD. And uh, he's continuing to make music. He just put out a new song a couple of months ago. Hopefully an album will be following. But I I absolutely love his stuff. And um, one of the songs on here was, uh, I would say, the biggest push for me to become a New Age artist myself, among other things that I do. But uh, we'll get to that when we get to that song. He's got two songs on this one, actually. Yanni has two songs on this one. and. It's uh, it's just such a, it, it was a, it was a door opener for me because I never knew that music like this was written. I had never heard anything like this. When people said new age, I always thought of you know nature sounds like a CD of a, a stream or a babbling brook or you know thunderstorms or something like that. I never really thought about um, 
you know, new age music, unless it was say like, you know, a pan flute with somebody that's out and you hear like crickets in the background and stuff like that. So this was a real uh, ear opener for me, much like when I first stumbled across the music of Cirque du Soleil, I had never known music like that was possible or that that was even a thing that had been done. So those were a couple of pretty defining moments, I would say, in my life. And this tape was the the first one of them. So I'm going to give you guys some samples of the songs as we go along and uh, and just kind of give you an idea of what these are like. I highly suggest checking them out. I've got them all listed uh, by artists in the order that they show up on, uh, at least that they, that they showed up on the tape. I assume the CD is the same order. And I also have uh, the album of the artist that the song came from. So it's uh, artist name, album, or uh, artist name, song, and then the album it came from. So some of them may be out of print, but, you know, if that is the case, then you can still try iTunes. Sometimes they have like a remastered version of of out of print albums. Uh, Otherwise, you know, eBay is often a good resource for things that are no longer available. eBay, you know, eBay and Discogs and places like that are uh, a last resort for me. Reason being, uh, for one, I typically download albums instead of uh, purchase the physical albums anymore because I, you know, they just don't need to take up physical space. It's just more stuff to have and drag around. And since you can't really enjoy the booklet or the cover art as much anymore, um, you can download the cover art. But, uh, you know, the books are just too impossible to read for me. So I, I don't really get turned on by the idea of buying CDs anymore. I like the idea of downloading because it's right there. It's more eco-friendly. And I honestly think that's the way that things are headed anyway. Then um, the other thing, too, is that the band or the artist, they don't get paid if you're buying things from Discogs and eBay, unless you're buying from wherever the official sources are, whether it be Amazon, iTunes, uh, an online you know, CD retailer, uh, Target, Walmart, you know, anywhere that you might be buying CDs. The artists don't make any money if you're buying them on eBay. So to me, it's it's one of those, okay, I can't find it anywhere else. This is my only reasonable resource for finding this album or this single or whatever. Um, that's when I go to eBay and Discogs. Um, I think it's just it's just so important that we take care of the artists that, you know, that provided us with these wonderful things. This is what they live on. So, you know, it's it's I, I'm not a huge proponent of things like Spotify. I see an advantage as an artist to be on there, but I do not have a Spotify account as a listener uh, or Apple Music or any of those resources. I've thought about it more as a as a test to like find new bands and new things that I might enjoy, but it's a step I've not taken yet. And um, but you know, like I said, you can get it for at, at Amazon. I think it's like three ninety nine or something. I mean, it's really inexpensive. Um, I think it's also three ninety nine to ship it, which is just funny. But that's the way it goes. Oh, and, and another reason uh, I like to buy digital is I don't have to wait and I don't have to pay shipping costs. And if I have any mail uh, carriers or mail personnel listed uh, or listening, please do not send me a bunch of hate mail about the use of the post office because I appreciate you guys too. So I, uh, let's see, where are things at real quick before we start? Um, the book trilogy is basically done. I've edited all three cha- uh, all three novels, and I have a couple of things in a couple of chapters that I'm going back and reworking before I send it out to the beta readers. 
I'm very excited after all these years. It's been going on for about 10 years or so. Um, I'm very excited after all these years that it's at this stage where I can get it out to some other people for some feedback before I send the final versions out. Um, Rebecca Poole is going to be doing the uh, the cover, and I'm really excited about that because she and I work so well together. And it's, it's going to be fun. So I'm hoping that people will like that. Um, we'll see. I mean, you know, time is, is going to tell if people think it's good work or not. This is the first nonfiction stuff I'm putting out into the world. So it should be interesting to see what happens with that. And then uh, as soon as the books go out to the beta readers, hopefully in about a week or so, then um, I start work on the next album. And the next album is going to be called The Forgotten Puppet Show. And it is a collection of songs that I have written uh, years ago. Part of the, you know, one CD a year is reworked uh, older music. And then one CD a year is brand new music. I'm still calling them CDs, given the fact that I just talked about downloads. Um, but one album a year uh, is is dedicated to each thing. So I'm doing some new stuff and I'm doing some stuff that Honestly, like 99.999% of the people in the world didn't know that music in the first place. So it's going to be brand new for most people. But stuff that was released in albums in different compilations, just, hey, I wrote enough songs to fill a CD, so I'm going to put one out. And not really thinking about, you know, the coherency of an album. It was just stuffing an album with as many minutes as it could fit and releasing it. And while those are great markers in time for me, because those were songs that were written, you know, one after another until the, the time was full on the next CD, um, it's, it's really a marker of where I was at. So now splitting them up, but also reworking some of the songs for a more modern sound. And also hopefully I've become more intelligent as a composer and more feeling and putting that into those songs. So kind of just revamping them to where I am today versus where I was when I wrote them. And that will be out um, hopefully by the end of summer. And we're targeting, I think, September or October for the first book in my Universal Court series to come out. And then hopefully like one a month or one every month and a half or something after that until the trilogy is released. So that's pretty much everything that's going on, folks. Um, I'm really excited to dig into this album and to share this music with you. There may be some songs that that you know, uh, some of the Yanni songs especially, are uh, are quite famous. So uh, without further ado, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play uh, a bit of the song and then I'm going to talk about it. The first one is um, Santorini. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it is by Yanni. And this one is from the, uh, I believe it's To Imagination is the title of the album. Keys to Imagination is the title of the album. Now, normally what I do on these album review shows is I play like the first 30 seconds or so of the song to kind of give you an idea of where it's going. It works a little bit different sometimes with uh, new age music because some of them have sort of long intros and you can listen to the intro and think I might like the song or I might not like the song and really have no idea where the song is going because the intros are, are typically long. So I'm going to play uh, some of the intros and then I'm going to play, you know, sometimes a, a section in the middle of the song. So I'm going to cut a couple of minutes inward, and you can hear a little bit of what Santorini sounds like.
Yeah, it's a really pretty song. It has a very long intro, uh, quite a build up to uh, the point that we just listened to. But I just, I love the uh, the sort of electric piano and the, the rhythmic side of it, as well as the melodic. It's just a very, very beautifully put together piece. Some nice, um, you know, orchestral per- percussion in there and just a, a really big sounding, beautiful song. And it's amazing how, uh, you know, wide the sound is with that beautiful melody in it. It's just a, a nice contrast, but works so well together. And it's a, it's a fantastic piece. I believe this, uh, this song was on his CD, uh, Live at the Acropolis. I might be wrong about that. I know one of the two of the uh, songs on this album was, and I want to say it was that one. Um, I read that he said that this is still one of his favorite songs that he's written, and it is certainly a beautiful song. It's one of those, actually, a lot of these on this album are really ones that you can just lay back on the bed, put the headphones on, and just drift away with the music, whether it's uh, a little bit more technical like this one is, or or just something that's more like the opening, um, where it's uh, just sort of an open pad to enjoy and float away on. Um, all of these songs are just ones that you could, um, you know, just get lost in. And I think that was the big thing for me was the be- the ability to just get lost in music instead of bobbing my head to it, singing along to it, um, you know, making it a focal point. It was something that could just surround me and sort of buffer out the world, which is something that I was very much uh, enjoying from the time that I first heard it. Um, the next song that we're going to talk about is by Patrick O'Hearn. This one is called Unusual Climate. And this one um, was uh, an, an inspiration to me, not the one I mentioned earlier, that's the other song on the, uh, on the tape, but this one actually inspired one of the layers that I put into a song called Flight of the White Cotton Alien, which is one of my favorites that I've written. And that came out on my album Dreamscape. But uh, this was the inspiration for one of those instruments. I love this song because it was one that I used to listen to in the car. I had these sunglasses that were tinted orange for some reason. And I just remember, you know, whenever I had to be on my way to work or whatever, and I would have, I'd be looking at the world through uh, these orange tinted lenses. And it just created, you know, a real atmosphere. And this song in particular, just, it was like, it took me away to a, a different world, you know, between the sunglasses and the the sounds and the progression in this this song uh, was really something that was very special to me. And I really wish I could find um, some cool glasses like that again. But, um, you know, maybe someday I will, maybe I won't. I don't know. But in any case, here is a touch of Unusual Climate from the album Ancient Dreams by Patrick O'Hearn. It's a really nice uh, thing. You just have that pulse. You have a little bit of percussion. Um, again, you know, there's a lot of tape hiss in here because this was transferred from cassette. Um, but it's uh, it's just got a nice, gentle, kind of you feel like you're just laying in the tall grass outside and there's a breeze going on and some things happening around you that, you know, they're not threatening. They're just kind of there and you're paying attention to them. But you're mostly just letting them, the, the rhythm side of it, just kind of take you over. And then when we get down into the song a little bit later, where it gets, you know, more uh, involved in synthesizers and a little bit heavier percussion, um, we'll take a listen to that right now. Mm-hmm. 
love how, you know, vital but simple the percussion is. It's not doing anything, you know, grandiose. It's just doing something different and interesting. It has an interesting sound to it, a really good amount of reverb, and just kind of, you know, just takes you where it's going to go. And you just, you know, willingly follow along because you're intrigued, you're you're interested, you want to know what's going to happen next, and you want to know where all this percussion is going. And then when they kick in with the with the synthesizers, it just, uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard to describe because the connection that you get to New Age music is a little bit different than what you get from rock and roll or anything else. But this song is definitely one that resonates heavily with me. It really makes me um, happy to listen to it, but it also just, you know, no matter how many times I've heard it, it just takes me on a journey. And I picture something different every time, but it's always something out in nature and in, in a world that's, you know, similar to what we know, but kind of surreal at the same time. It has a, you know, a bit of a parallel universe feel to it for me because it, it's familiar, but it's not quite the same. And uh, definitely one of my favorite songs. Whenever I make um, like a relaxation, re- relaxation lists or, or something to uh, listen to while I'm doing other things, like whether I'm writing, you know, working on my novel or something, this is one of the songs that goes on there because it's one that I can listen to and not get so caught up in I'm not working, I can just have it on and enjoy it and enjoy the atmosphere of it. And uh, those are the kind of songs that, you know, some of the ones that I love the most. So definitely a favorite of mine. And uh, I hope that you guys like it too. The next uh, song that I'm going to play is a little bit different. This one is by Lucia Hong. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly or Lucia. I'm not sure which, how it's pronounced, but in any case, Uh, The song is Tibet Suite, Sections 6 and 7, House of Sleeping Beauty, and uh, it's got a little bit different feel to it, and uh, I'm going to play a little bit of a clip for you, and then we'll get into it after. normally don't care for orchestral sounding instruments when I'm listening to new age music unless it's you know sometimes a gentle string or a violin you know string section or violin is nice but in general brass woodwinds not something I I like too often in this kind of music however the dynamic of this song uh it, it really suits well and I I actually like that they put that in this particular one there's a lot that goes on in this song. There's a lot of changes. It's based on a much bigger suite. This is only a couple of sections of it. And um, it, it definitely has a pretty amazing build to it. So I'm going to play a little bit uh, further into the song so you can uh, check that out. The first time I heard this, I remember thinking that the vocals were a little bit odd in there. It felt more like, you know, a a movie soundtrack over like maybe end credits, like, uh, you know, the old Bruce Lee movies, they used to have that sort of fighting beat to it. And, you know, then some, uh, some really nice vocals over it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. I'm thinking, I think the movie is Return to the Dragon, Return of the Dragon is the one I'm thinking of. But in any case, um, it, it threw me off a little bit. I've gotten used to it since, but the rhythmic side of this song is really good. The progressions are really good. There's some good changes. The solo instruments flow very beautifully. 
And uh, even though it was one that I didn't listen to a lot at first, I would kind of fast forward over it. (laughs) I said fast forward because, again, I'm talking about a cassette at the time. But it was one that I would kind of just skip over a little bit. And then every once in a while, I would listen to it. And then I started gaining appreciation for it. It just wasn't my, my flavor at first, but it definitely grew on me. And I really like the song now. Next up, we have an offering from Sanford Ponder and a song called Fug Wave or Fugue Wave. There's no E in there, so I'm, I'm not really sure. But the album is called Tigers Are Brave. It's definitely an interesting song. Um, I found it really fascinating from the first time I heard it because I hadn't quite heard textures layered like this before. And it was definitely an eye opener for me and uh, one that I really enjoy. So I'm going to play a little clip of that for you guys now. really different, isn't it? It it really has such an amazing atmosphere and mood to it that uh, that's what really draws me into it. I do kind of feel like I'm in a jungle that, you know, kind of feels almost like an electronic jungle. And I'm I'm just picturing like animals swinging on vines, like giant apes and things, not like King Kong giant apes, but, you know, large apes. And um, it really paints a picture in my mind every time I hear it. But I feel like it's not a dangerous place, I feel like it gives me the sense that I just need to be aware of my surroundings, but not that I'm in real danger of any kind because the song isn't dark enough for that. It is a little bit dark, probably the darkest one on the album, just because of that uh, that different mood. But it's a great song. I really love it. Um, there's a, a really long uh, flute opening, like an Indian flute. And um, I, I just kind of skipped over that for you guys. I wanted to just get into meat of it for you. And it's, it's definitely one that I've enjoyed greatly. A um, little bit different of a song. You know, it's not the, the kind of thing that you would uh, have an opportunity to hear quite a bit because music like that's pretty rare and it's pretty special, at least to me. And if I remember right, um, maybe I don't, but if I remember right, that was the end of the first side. Um, feel like that was right. So the uh so there was only four songs on the uh on the first side of the tape and then five on the second side. Now the next song that we're gonna listen to is the other offering by Patrick O'Hearn that they put on here. This is called uh Ancient Dreams. Now this is the song that really opened my eyes and got me interested in becoming a new age artist. This it just has such a pulse and a flow to it. It's light and airy, but yet it still feels full and it doesn't feel like it's lacking anything. It, it just it just is a, an amazing world on its own. So when I listen to the song, I can't help but to get, you know, a little bit giddy and nostalgic because this was just where I went, wow. And at this time, I was only a drummer. Um, I'd written, I think, one song, maybe two, but I think just one at the time wasn't a keyboard player, didn't own a keyboard. And so I really had no concept of how I would do it. But it was one that that 
made me go, wow, this is a world that I would love to dig into and, and see if I have something to offer there. And so here is a little bit of Ancient Dreams by Patrick O'Hearn from the album Ancient Dreams. Doesn't this just make you want to lay back in the grass with your head staring up at the sky, looking at clouds, seeing what kind of shapes and things that you can find in those clouds? It, it's just a song of great fantasy for me, of um, calmness, of relaxation, of wonder. And it, it you know, I've heard this song a, a few hundred times easily. And every time it just takes me back to that, like it's spring. And I'm just enjoying the fresh air and breathing it in and seeing, you know, tigers and cats and all kinds of things up up in the sky. Just a a wonderful song. And so when I started listening to this and I started kind of dissecting everything that was going on and the different layers and how intelligently they were put together, I couldn't help but just want to, to start writing that kind of music myself. And like I said, at this point, I've got no keyboard, no, you know, not any real melodic chops. I'd written one song and I borrowed a keyboard to, to record that one. But it just it just takes me away every time. And this is one of those songs that, you know, no matter how bad of a day I'm having, I can just put on and all of it just melts away as I get lost in the rhythm and the melody and that sort of airy synth that we hear in there that I love so much. Um, beautiful song. So when I think about my song Dreamscape from the album Dreamscape, I think that it would never have existed without Ancient Dreams from the album Ancient Dreams by Patrick O'Hearn. This song sent me on a on a pretty amazing path that I have enjoyed to this day with the, you know, the many albums that I've written with this kind of music, especially in the mental sauna category and just other songs that I've written uh, that are, you know, would be considered new age. Um, I, I cannot say enough good things about this song. So this is one I would highly suggest if you don't listen to any of the other songs. Go check out Ancient Dreams. Um, it, it was it would be the the one song that I would recommend the most out of all of these. Um, but that being said, the rest of the album is very good. We're going to revisit our friend Yanni for the song Nostalgia, also from the album Keys to Imagination, as Santorini was. Still hope I'm saying that right because I'm really not sure. But uh, this is another one that's just he, he really has a certain way of progressing music that's not, you know, it can be fast, it can be busy and have a lot going on, but it doesn't feel like it's intimidating or overpowering or aggressive or anything like that. It's just this this beautiful melodic journey that you take with him. So let's take a listen to a little bit of Nostalgia. And 
you can feel a little bit of a, a longing, a little bit of a thinking back on the past vibe to it. It's really interesting. And I love the little, you know, what I call as a drummer, I would call them flams. I don't know what they would be called on a piano, but uh, just those little uh, things that he throws in that instead of just playing a straight solid note, he has to make it just a little bit more interesting. And I really like that about this song. There's some really nice passages in this song that I think are absolutely beautiful. I'm going to play one of them for you now so you can get an idea of what it does just beyond this uh, long opening. Just such gorgeous playing and performance. It's busy, but not distracting, not intimidating, just a beautiful thing to get lost in. And I kind of think about it like if you're, um, you know, if you're on the beach and there's a little shallow patch of, of water and there's just a bunch of pebbles in there, just kind of like walking along, looking at all the pebbles, you know, there's a lot going on, but it's still tranquil at the same time. And uh, that's one of the many things I love about this song. I love that last section where it uh, where the notes go into the higher register just really quick and then back down as it as it trans uh, transmutes a little bit into another part, but uh, just a beautiful beautiful song and I've always loved that one. But ironically, Yanni's another one of those people that I've never really dug into their music, even though I very much like the two songs that are on here. For whatever reason, I've just never really dug in, and I get fascinated with myself about when I choose to and when I choose not to. And it's nothing against him. I, I have no reason not to. I just never have. So that's something that I might just have to do at some point. Maybe I'll do a review of a Yanni album just to, you know, give myself that reason to dig in a little bit deeper into his stuff. But of the two songs that are on here, they kind of have that same da 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 you know, just like, we're just going to keep the, the notes going on eighth notes, and we're just going to do a progression here and just kind of keep that going. And we'll put some filler in around it. Um, but in either case, I mean, they're both beautiful songs, but that certainly kind of has that, that feel to it. So, um, that was, uh, Nostalgia. Now the next song that we have on here is by an artist called, and I hope I'm saying this right, Leo Kotke, K-O-T-T-K-E. And his song is, I also believe, from a much bigger work, uh, is called Three Fourths North, Three Slash Four North. And um, it is listed as uh, being on an album called One Guitar, No Vocals. So I assume there are no vocals on that album. But it's a very nice song, um, completely different from what we've heard so far. This one kind of gets into what a lot of people think of as, as New Age, just kind of somebody plucking away on a stringed instrument. And uh, it's very simple, but it has a really beautiful feel to it. Kind of like, um, you know, I always think about being in a meadow and just kind of like laying there with my back against a rock or a barn or something. And, you know, it's springtime and there's just a gentle breeze in the air. And, you know, the grass is getting green in the spring and it's, it's just a beautiful time to be outside and enjoy it. That's what this song has made me think from the very first time I heard it. And that imagery has always stuck with me. But uh, what do you guys feel, you know, when, when you are listening to any of these songs? What, are they, what visuals do they inspire in you? I'd be curious to know. 
So it's a very gentle, you know, in, in, introspective, I would say, song to me. But just some some nice playing, very patient, not uh, not in a rush to get anywhere. Nice electric piano in the background of the acoustic guitar. See, the album is called, you know, One Guitar, No Vocals. It doesn't say it's only guitar. So there's that. But in any case, it's a very pretty song. Um, I do think it fits in well with the album, even though it's a little bit different, or the sampler, I should say. But uh, it, it, it's it's one of my lesser favorites of these particular selections, because again, when I think new age music, I don't necessarily myself think of guitars. I know that can be kind of a traditional thing, guitars, pan flutes, you know, uh, sometimes a fiddle or an Irish whistle or something like that. But for me, um, I really think more into the pad kind of world, like, uh, like Ancient Dreams by Patrick O'Hearn, that sort of thing. Um, I'm not a big fan of that kind of acoustic guitar in general, but I do think that the song is, is very pretty, very beautifully done. And um, it is one I enjoy. It's just not one that's in the foreground of my, um, of my listening desires, I would say. But that's basically just around the general instrumentation of it. So uh, down to the last couple of songs here, a very, very interesting artist who has ties to, you know, the Deep Purple family, Eddie Jobson, and uh, his song Outer Secrets, which is, again, part of a much bigger work on an album called Theme of Secrets. And you can hear some of these themes repeated in some of the other songs on the album, but it's uh, very elegant. Uh, I love this song, and I'm going to play that for you now. Outer Secrets. I love that bouncy ball feel that we have, you know, where you're bouncing it and you just stop and it just kind of bounces up and down, you know, slower and slower, and then it just kind of decays out. But uh, I really love the atmosphere of this song, too. Um, The song gets pretty interesting, and I'm going to play a little bit of a section moving forward. This is another one that I used to listen to in the car, again, with those orange sunglasses, just kind of seeing the world a little bit differently than I was used to. Just a simple, patient melody, a pulse on the percussion, something to keep it, you know, moving forward and keep it interesting. But yeah, just such a beautiful piece of music and definitely one of my favorites in the new age category. Another one that really inspired me. And Eddie Jobson's done a lot of cool stuff throughout his career. So check him out and check out his album, Theme of Secrets. Our last song on here is probably the one that, if any song, I would say didn't really fit on the album, but I'm glad they put it last in the lineup, would be this one. This song is by Jerry Goodman, and the song is called Sarah's Lullaby. And, um, you know, it's just got a 
beat to it versus a pulse in in one spot and uh while the song is good it's it's really more just an instrumental song to me than a new age one it's got strings in it um it's got a you know kind of a riff versus some of these other ones which are really more i think melodic than than riff oriented although that's just my opinion and i could be a little biased over some of these songs but in any case uh here is a little bit of sarah's lullaby So that goes on for a little bit, and it's just this really pretty, I imagine, sitting in a cafe in Italy next to a stream, having, uh, you know, having a coffee and just kind of enjoying the, uh, the beauty of the world around me. Maybe some kids playing in a fountain a little ways down the sidewalk. Uh, for some reason, that's, it's just always invoked that kind of visual to me. Um, but I'm going to play uh, down a little further into the song where I was talking about that it has a beat. And you guys can decide for yourself whether it had a place. I mean, this isn't an album that was released as a, as a collection of songs to be enjoyed as an album. It was really designed to promote the label, to promote the artists that were on the label, to get people to go, hey, I really like the couple songs by this guy. They're on the same album. Let's get the album and kind of increase sales that way, help spread the word for this kind of music and for the private music label. And, um, you know, they, they did very well. I remember actually going to their offices one time. I was in L.A. visiting. I thought, you know what, I'm here. I'm going to make the most of this. And I went to their offices. I called from the lobby upstairs to, you know, make sure I could get in to talk to somebody. And I never made it past the guards because I was not a music attorney, did not represent an artist. I was the artist. They do not speak to artists, or at least didn't at the time. It was another kind of uh, eye-opening experience. And I was really sad because I just wanted to meet them and talk to them and see, you know, down the road, what could I do about uh, becoming one of their artists? Like, what do I need to do? What do I need to learn? How do I need to write? Um, Not that I would have necessarily been interested in compromising those things, but really just more in the way of, you know, what can I learn to be at the point where you guys would listen to my music? And then what can I do to that music to make you guys want it? And, you know, eventually would hope to find a a line between my personal style and what they would need in the songs to be able to release them in whatever capacity that they would. But none of that ever happened because I never got past the guards. I never made it to the lobby. I called from downstairs, was heavily told you're not getting in because you're not a music attorney. And that was pretty much the end of that. So then I thought, well, do I need to hire a music attorney? How much is that going to cost? And, you know, that's when music first started to become a business as well as an art form for me when I had that sort of uh, eye-opening experience and realizing that this isn't, you know, the the days of the 60s when someone would come to a club and just hear a band and go, wow, these guys are awesome. We got to sign them. Those days were over. And this is still when we had a lot of record companies down there. It wasn't too far, if I remember right, from the Capitol Records building. Um, I could be wrong. Actually, I want to say it was closer to Hollywood and Vine. Now that I think about it, it was somewhere on Vine Street, I want to say. Um, but it was it was definitely an awakening moment for me and a discouraging one at the same time. I, I remember driving back. I was staying with my friends in Camarillo. 
And I remember driving back that whole way, just going, you know, now I'm going to have to hire a music attorney. How much is that going to cost? And I'm making just above minimum wage. How am I ever going to make this work? And it was actually pretty discouraging for a while. But then I decided, you know what, maybe I'll just make music that will be so good, they'll want to reach out to me or have their attorney reach out to me or however they wanted to do it, you know. Um, So that then became my goal. And then eventually I just kind of forgot about them and record companies. And I just wrote what I wanted to write. I put in it what I wanted to put in, what I felt was good. And, you know, then now I'm kind of revising some of those songs just in the way of, you know, making them sound a little more modern and that. But this, this whole album really set me on that journey. But again, like I said, this isn't designed to be an album like a band would release to listen to. This was pretty much a marketing tool. And so I say, when when I say that this song, Sarah's Lullaby, doesn't fit on the album, I'm talking in terms of, of looking at it as an artist, not as a PR person. As a PR person, it's absolutely fine. It fits. It's great. But, um, you know, when you compare it to the rest of the songs on the album, it definitely stands out in style more so than, say, Three-Fourths North or, you know, um, j- just because it just is such a different thing and it has that beat. So. I'm going to play a little bit further into the song for you, and then you can decide for yourself. So it's not a bad song by any means. I like the song. I just am not sure it really fits on this album. And now that you've heard it, you can kind of decide that for yourself. But, you know, that that really nice uh, violin lead up and, and all that. And then the beat coming in. I really like just those two synth bass notes, just bump them, that are slightly uh, ahead of where you would expect them to be, or you would think there's going to be a third one on that that beat. But uh, it's, a, it's a good song. I really like it. It just, you know, it, it really is set apart. It feels like this could have been done by like a rock or a pop band on one of their albums and, and not so much to be put with a new age label. But in any case, uh, they did. And that's fine. They had signed that, that artist, um, Jerry Goodman. And that's what he did. So uh, overall, um, I'm really glad to bring this album to you guys. It definitely is one that means an absolute great deal to me. I hope that you guys enjoy the songs. I hope that you'll check some of them out. The Amazon links are in the show notes. The artist list, song list, and their corresponding album list is all in the show notes. And if you guys have any questions, can't get to the show notes, depending on where you are listening, uh, feel free to reach out to me at scott at scotthaskin.com. And I will happily send you links or point you in the right direction or whatever it is that you need. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining me guys on this one. This is a, an episode when I started thinking about what kind of reviews I wanted to do as, uh, you know, I'm so project heavy right now that it's really hard to find time to schedule guests and then, uh, you know, have time to actually speak to them on top of finding time to schedule them. But this is one that I, I was most excited to do. And I've enjoyed all of them, you know, whether it be Nazareth or the Scorpions or, you know, any of these albums I've covered so far. Uh, They all mean something to me, which is why I want to talk about them. But this album in particular was such a game changer for me. And Cheryl from Hewlett Packard, if you're out there listening uh, somehow to this podcast, thank you so much, because were it not for you, I don't know 
what direction my uh, writing would have taken. You know, I may have stumbled upon this stuff myself eventually. I kind of think that if, you know, some things are just destiny and whether one avenue works out or not, eventually we'll find our way there. But this was certainly one that meant a great deal to me. It really um, set me on a path. If you guys want to see the outcome of what this kind of music has done for me, check out my album Dreamscape. You can get it on Amazon, iTunes. You can stream it on Spotify, um, Apple Music the Google Music Player. I'm not sure how that works, but apparently I'm rather big on that. Um, but yeah, check it out and, and you know, feel free to let me know what you think. It's definitely music that is very much from my heart and very much a labor of love. And some of the songs have been around for, you know, a good 25 years or so. So I also uh, have to say thank you to Scott Davies, who was the person that prompted me to buy my first uh, real pro keyboard. And it had a sequencer in it that allowed me to actually write songs inside the board, dump them to a four track, add vocals and, and you know, mix them down and that sort of thing. Uh, prior to that, I was working on a Casio that I bought from my friend Doug, who I also think it was the one that I had borrowed to do a couple of my, my early songs, or really my first song called You Took My Heart, which one day will make it back out into the market itself. But um, yeah, so that was kind of the progression of things. And Scott and I were roommates up in Denver. And he said, you should really get a sequencer. And I said, hey, that's great. What is a sequencer? And so he explained it to me. And then, um, you know, then I purchased one. And uh, my writing took on a very, very healthy direction because it allowed me to do so much more than just trying to memorize everything I wrote and how I created that sound and put it into a four track before I lost it all, because the sequencer allowed you to save that to a, um, you know, to a floppy disk and all that good stuff. Um, so my first sequencer was a Korg X3, which was a 61 note, uh, 16 track sequencer. And it came full of a, a ton of sounds that were, you know, most of them were just fantastic. I wanted to use everything in in one song or another. But uh, I got rid of that at some point and upgraded that to the next model up, which was the N series, replaced that and added a whole extra set of banks. So you basically doubled the sounds by going uh, from the X to the N series. And then um, I went from a 61 note to a 76 note board, which gave me a lot more flexibility in my playing. You know, it doesn't sound like it's a lot of keys, but it actually is, especially at the tips of the high and low registers. So Korg is still making some amazing sequences. I talk to them every year that I go to the NAM show. And uh, they've, they've always been very wonderful people, very easy to talk to. They've got so many products out there between the guitar products and keyboard products and amps and just all kinds of things, tuners and everything that they do. Um, they're a really diverse company. But everything that I've worked with of theirs that they've made has just been nothing but top-notch quality, which is why they've been an industry leader for decades. Um, so if you're thinking about getting a sequencer or a keyboard, check out Korg. I would highly recommend them. So that is our show, guys. Thank you so much for, you know, for joining me. I do have a couple of interviews that are going to be coming up and we'll get to those as the weeks roll on. But, uh, you know, we're, we're making our headway. We're past the halfway point of the show. And for those of you who have stuck with me from the beginning, from the beginning or joined and stuck with me along the way, or to the folks that have just recently joined. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. Why am I talking? If no one's listening, that would be, you know, one of those things that they would come and put me in a rubber room for. So thank you guys for joining me. Thank you for those who share the podcast, who like it, and especially those who take the time to go to, say, iTunes and leave a uh, rating or even better, leave a few words of feedback. 
It's always greatly appreciated and uh, definitely something that, you know, us podcasters, we really rely on that. So for those of you who have done it, thank you very much. And thank you guys for joining me on another episode of the Haskincast podcast. We'll be back next week for another show. See you guys. Take care. Bye.